Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. out there. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. Well, now it's, of course, officially spring, though I'm not so sure that anybody told the uh, weather person in charge, <laughs> the weather person in chief. But at any rate, um, we have for you today, if you're hungry for warmer weather, we have two products and a book. They're not really for warmer weather, are they? But if you're hungry, we have two products in a book. Uh, we're going to start off uh, with something that I've used a lot since I got the samples here, is uh, Fresco Bonnie Artisan Sauces. And talking to Anne Rafice and Lisa Mate, two wonderful um, Italian-American women who started this company. And... Um, it, it's so convenient and it's so delicious. I mean, I just don't know what I'd do without it. Well, we're excited to be talking about a, a really top-notch product, Fresco Bene Artisan Sauces, and we're going to be talking to the two co-founders, uh, Anne Riffis and Lisa Mounty. Note that it's a listeners that it's a, a woman-owned business. And uh, I guess we're really in, in uh, National Women's Month, aren't we? Yes. And this is Lisa. Yes, yes we are. Lisa. Who wants to tell us how your your upbringing um, brought you to be in the uh, specialty food industry? Um, and started, I guess, maybe before that. Have you always been in the food industry or not? I don't think so, as from what I read. So this is Lisa Mowdy, and um, we were not necessarily in the food industry, but I did have a small little catering company that I had started that Anne had joined, and from there we created Fresco Bene Foods. But for Anne and I, we both grew up in Italian families, and, you know, spending quality time with family and friends was instilled in us early on. And for us, it's centered around the table, enjoying delicious homemade food. And that really gave Anne and I both our um, love of food and passion for cooking. But as busy moms, it was getting harder and harder to get a delicious meal on the table. And so, you know, we were always talking about food and what we were going to cook. And, you know, we wanted to bring the same delicious food that we had growing up to our families. And one day, Anne said to me, you know, it's got to be a better way to get a meal on the table. And I'm like, I know, but what are we going to do? And she said, do you freeze your sauces? And I said, Anne, I'm Italian. Of course I freeze my sauces. <laughs> And she said, but do you freeze them in BPA-free heat and serve pouches? And from that moment on, like the light bulb went on and we thought this could be something big. And we just set out finding equipment to, you know, freeze our sauces. And we use um, our family recipes, highest quality ingredients. And I think Anne may tell you a little bit more 
about uh, the high-quality ingredients, but, you know, it just became so easy to get a great meal on the table by freezing them in heat-and-serve pouches. It, you know, freezing it maintains peak Yeah, no, that's, a, that's and, a big help, by the way, because uh, we've gotten a lot of frozen foods and, and products and and you have to like thaw them first, and and you know you have to. Well, I mean, by the time you go through all this preheating the oven and so on, you can stick your sauces even in the microwave or in a pot of boiling water. So it's exactly it's quick and easy. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, growing up, we always froze our sauces and we would freeze them in Tupperware containers. But like you just said, that's still, you know, you got to put it in, leave it out on, you know, in the refrigerator thaw. And then you got to dirty the pot, putting it in um, to cook it. But with the BPA-free pouches, you just take them right out of the freezer, put them in the pot of water that you're going to bring to a boil for your pasta. And once pasta. that water's boiling, you take the pouch out, salt your water, put your pasta in there, cook it, drain it, and then you just pour the sauce over the pasta. And what Ann and I have both found is they're so versatile. Their versatility is unmatched. We've created numerous recipes with ease, and that is because the sauces themselves are so flavorful. They yes. work deliciously with so many different um, yeah, ingredients. You can use them, by the way, in case you haven't tried it, um, with um, oven-roasted leeks. We did that last night. <laughs> oh, that sounds delicious. That is I very good. I usually use the Amatriciana sauce over um, asparagus, but the leeks sounds nice. Yeah, the leeks are nice. Leeks need a lot of help, I think. <laughs> I'll just tell you the truth. Well, you know, the thing that... Hold on a minute. Let me yeah, get a little in edgeways, though. The thing, the thing that we did find interesting about the leeks is they, they took a very long time to cook. I mean, we, we baked them in the oven, but they took, they took a really long time. And, did they? And, and, you, need, and you needed to, to, to be kind to them and make sure that right. they had enough time to cook. Otherwise, right. they really weren't very nice at all. Well, I mean, it's, that's because all roasted vegetables take a while to cook, I think. But comparatively, right. I usually, yeah. So, but um, how old is your company? I remember you said we talked four years ago when you got a um, a silver Sophie. Yes, this is Lisa. Yes, in 2018, we won um, a silver Sophie award from the Specialty Food Association, and that was a huge honor for us. Um, and our Sausage Ragu is our best seller. Um, pretty hard to compete with it, with the San Marzano tomatoes and custom-made <laughs> sweet Italian sausage, Parmesan-Reggiano, red wine, everything I love. Um, so we were very, very honored to receive that Um but we did start out in 2016, and we basically started out in food service, and we were supplying the Naval Academy. So we were happy to see that the midshipmen oh, nice. were eating very well. And um, we did have a few uh, restaurants, the Sheridan in New York. And then, you know, once COVID hit, we pivoted a little more and really focused on retail. And we yeah. are growing our retail footprint um, pretty quickly now. 
Now, how how much do you produce quantity wise? Hi, this is Ann. Uh, you know, so we do. We're still small batch, but a small batch is eleven hundred and fifty pounds. That's what oh, wow. size the kettle is that is used at our co-packer, and you know that gives us probably about eighteen hundred pouches. Um, you know that you have used, which are ten ounces, so they are pre-portioned to a nice size. And as Lisa had mentioned, you know, they're frozen right after they're made, which is really key. Well, that so really taste, contributes to the freshness of, of it. It does. Why they, they taste, taste so fresh. And it, they taste as fresh as the day they were made. You really can't find a fresher sauce on the market today, I mean, unless you make it yourself. Well, you know, I, I actually, um, I, I'm having going through a trauma because uh, I have um, two refrigerators with freezer compartments, uh, but I had a freestanding upright freezer in the basement, which I unfortunately packed with about $500 worth of meat, and, and it broke. <laughs> and so I'm now trying to um, to work through the two refrigerator compartments to see if it's possible. And so I appreciated something else about your um, product is that it, it takes up so little space to store the freezer. Yeah, yeah, and this is Anne again, but it also, you're right, you can take it out of the box, the pouch is very small, um, but you know, also, if they do thaw, they do have a shelf life of three weeks in the refrigerator. Yeah, you said that, open. why is that? Why is well, that? you know, be, they, they, because they're vacuum sealed, so they uh-huh. actually, you know, are really properly sealed so they they have a long shelf life in the freezer which is 18 months and then in the refrigerator yes at least 21 days they can stay in the refrigerator unopened and and still really have those fresh delicious flavors that we're wanting to provide uh-huh. now um translate fresco bene because <laughs> certainly you dreamed this up for your name we, this is Lisa again. Yes, yeah, so fresco bene means fresh, and it really means well. Bene, bene is well, wow. but we just felt that, you know, you're eating well, you're eating good foods, it's fresh, and um, as Ann said, you know, we freeze it to maintain peak freshness, and the only way you're going to get it any fresher is if you make it yourself or if you're known as making it for you. So we really felt that name just fit what our product really is, fresh and good, really delicious. But no, fresco delicioso might have been a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> and I, I had a, um, another idea on it is you, – who, how did you develop these recipes? I mean, I've looked up my family's recipes, and, um, I mean, there's this thing from Aunt Clara, and there's this thing from Aunt Sarah, and it calls for things like um, a, a jar of fig jam. I mean, it's, it doesn't say what size the jar is. How did you work on, on getting this right? Because the taste flavors are so authentic. You don't have the added sugar and junk that people who aren't Italian throw in there. So this is Anne. Um, you know, early on when Lisa and I were creating this company, we got together and cooked 
on so many occasions. And we came together with these recipes and we were serving our family and friends and we tried to just make them as simple as possible, but we made sure to use the highest quality ingredients. We just, we know that, you know, the best tasting sauces come from the best ingredients. And so there we set out to find the number one imported San Marzano tomato that actually has no added citric acid. And this is really important for people who have some issues with red sauce. Mm -hmm. We get letters all the time from people saying, I have not eaten red sauce in 30 years and I can eat yours with no issues at all. And it has actually been life-changing for people. So, you know, that is one area that we made sure we used the highest quality ingredient. Our sausage is custom-made for us at a local butcher near where our co-packer is. We use the real Parmesan Reggiano imported from Italy that's been aged, you know, for at least 10 months. Imported olive oil. I mean, we use nitrate-free pancetta. And, you know, we just wanted to make simple, delicious, homemade-tasting sauces that are available to consumers in an easy format so you don't have to spend hours in the kitchen. You know, that's important to us. We wanted to make sure people can have nice family and friend dinners, but you don't have to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. You actually enjoy the people you love. And you yeah, love because, it, you know, and you enjoy it with good food. Yeah, I can, I can uh, picture the family, or my family, everybody cooking for hours and hours. And well, hours uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> this is Lisa again. And, and we have this, true, uh, you know. Did you ever have that fig cookie, what they cushioned out of, uh, maybe a Sicilian? And anyhow, I, it's, um, I had a Sicilian chef. And, and another Sicilian chef, and we were all planning, and this one chef has a TV program on public television. And um, we were planning on, on doing the Cucidata for a, a show until we started looking up the, the process again and figured out it takes two days to make them. <laughs> well, uh, that was it. You know, growing up, we we were that's what we were doing, right? You were, Everyone was in the kitchen cooking, yeah. watching our, you know, nonas and our aunts and our cousins all, you know, spending all day cooking. And we wanted those flavors that we grew up on. But we just didn't have four or five hours on a Sunday to spend making them. But yeah. from watching them, we learned to cook all the ingredients, layer them, cook them low and slow in small batches. And as Ann said earlier, the although we have a co-packer making it for us, It's still made in small batches. The sauces are still made, layering the ingredients and letting each flavor develop. And, you know, so we brought that from our grandmothers and our, you know, moms and even our dads uh, cooking expertise. Yes. You have these wonderful products. Do you have more than the four sauces that I got? We do not have uh, more sauces on the market just yet, but we have so a you're working lot on of them. things in the works. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you two things uh, to conclude this. Is First of all, um, the future development is going to be in expanding the uh, flavors 
um, or different products. And the second question is availability. How do and does somebody get these? Go ahead. So this is Anne. Um, so yes, we are planning on bringing other flavor, flavors of sauce to the market. You know, we'd love to bring a plant-based sauce, um, maybe a balsamic yes, tomato. But, you know, we also have created soups and dips, um, pasta cups, you know, that are ready to eat. So there's a lot of different items that we can really bring to expand the line. Um, we also are planning on adding a ravioli, you know, to the mix so you could have a complete meal kit. But one of the really great things about our product is they are really versatile. So you can, re- you can make amazing soups by adding, you know, two additional ingredients that you have in your pantry, say chicken broth and cannellini beans. Um, or, you know, mixing our sausage ragu with some cream cheese and shredded mozzarella for a delicious pizza dip. We've created salad dressing recipes. I mean, they pair with all types of shellfish and vegetables. So, you know, we want people to know they're not just for pasta. They really appeal to all different diets and palates that are out there today. And, you know, they really are a freezer staple. You're always 15 to 20 minutes away from a fabulous meal if you have a fresco bene sauce in your freezer. It sounds to me like you've got a success story. <laughs> How about your your website? Is it frescobene.com? Yes, this is Lisa. It's frescobene.com. And on our website, people can learn a little bit more about fresco bene, a little bit about Anne and I. There are many recipes that they can follow, easy recipes. And as Ann said, they're all under 20 minutes. And it will also have our locations of where we are sold. The okay, store, the we store are locator. In. Yep, the store locator. But we are currently with Fresh Direct. We are with okay. the Chico and Sons in Westchester County. Oh, yeah. We are in Select ShopRites. And you can always purchase online. Oh, terrific. Well, you've, you've touched and all bases our, here. Yes, and for our friends in Texas, we are in all the central markets in Texas. Well, it's a delight to uh, taste authentic, no no mess sauces, and, uh, and, and I enjoy talking to you two both. You seem to have really developed a sound business going forward, and again, as I said, I look forward to expanding your line, and and thank you for talking to us. And much success. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yes, thank you very much. And bon appetito. Bon appetito. (laughs) We're going to be directing you to Flatbreads, talking to the Flatbread Queen and her son. Um, Bellani is the name of the company, and they're going to tell us what that means um, by the way, it's it's really good flatbread. Okay, we're <laughs> we're talking to Nazi and Bilal Sadiq, uh, and you are in California, are you? Yes, we're in California. Uh huh. I'm Nazi Sadiq. I'm founder of Balani, and my son Bilal Sadiq is here too with me. How does this relate to the the name of the company, Balani? Well, uh, Balani is a filled flatbread. 
So um, I was yeah, that so was I didn't even know that. And yeah. What kind of flatbread is it? It's a filled flatbread. Okay, and what what the part of the world is this? Middle Eastern? Uh, no, it's from Afghanistan. It's what Afghanistan? Oh well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to have you on. We we interviewed yeah, people. You. Yeah, we interviewed um, uh, someone importing saffron from Afghanistan. It's the best saffron oh, I've yeah. ever had. Yeah, this is in Chicago. Yeah, I'm originally originally, uh, from Afghanistan. I came into New York when I was 15 years old. And my life started, I I um, uh, immigrated from Afghanistan to New York. And and I lived there in New York. And I went to school in New York. I married uh, my family. My husband's family is Russian-Ukrainian. And then we moved to California. Um, I wanted to bring something um, because all our food was around here, not Afghani food. And I said, no, what should I, I bring? I can't imagine, right? Yes. What should I bring to make it hit? And then um, that was uh, bologna. I learned bologna flatbread, which is a very thin bread with filling from my grandmother. Um, when I was nine years old from uh, in Afghanistan. And I wow. said, you know what? I'm going to bring that recipe. I remember my grandmother went to the garden, cut the vegetable, and uh, made the uh, uh, flatbread handmade and stretch it and then put it inside the vegetable and bake it in a clay oven. And uh-huh. then I bring it, and we started in the first farmer market in California, in two hours, we sold out in farmer market. <laughs> well, they're quite good. It was uh, it was amazing. I'm telling you, uh, uh, any customer in Marin Civic Center area of uh, Marin, California, um, uh, any customer, I put some bologna and sauce. They didn't even ask how much. They said, "Give me what you make." <laughs> That's why they never see Afghani food. Because tamale was here, samosa was here, any flatbread, non-bread was here, but nothing from Afghanistan. And that's when I promoted popularity when one farmer market became 10 farmer market. There was one time we were in 180 farmer market. Wow. And uh, Old Food picked us up and then Costco and then many other places. And uh, we keep growing and growing. And um, till 2016, and I got a little bit sick and my health, and I um, wanted to give a licensee deal to the companies. Another company fell in love with us, and then um, we gave it to them. For eight months, they couldn't do it because Bologna is very unique. Um, uh, you can't do it machinery. You can't take a... Um, something, a flatbread or tortilla and fill it up and say that's bologna. Bologna recipe is very unique. If it's not handmade, the recipe changed. So they couldn't oh. do it and they lost all the account. On the 2017, I gave the company to them and then 2018 on March, I took it back and then um, we're basically a three years old company now. Um, that's what we named the company uh, Flatbread Queen, 
And Bolani, we trademarked Bolani name. And successfully, oh. we got the trademark on this name. And then um, when I got it, then Bolani become our brand name. Um, I see. So now our brand name is Bolani. And right. that's what our is now. My son, Bilal, will tell you about the product. What is the product and what's going on? So I hand it to him. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's always very hard to uh, follow uh, my mom. But, uh, <laughs> She's <I was> dynamite. <laughs> Tell me your name again. My name is Bilal. And, uh, B-I-L-L-A-L. Right? Yes, B-I-L-L-A-L. Okay. And, uh, Bill and an S. Um, yeah, and I am the CEO of Flatbread Queen. I'm also the janitor and the packer and the baker sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to go get spinach. You know. But uh, we make a lot of... What would you say, sir? Where are you actually located? Are you in San Francisco? Or? We're located in Concord, California, about 25 Concord, minutes okay. away from there. Are you, are yeah. you Serrano? Are you... A business I ran for a while, the headquarters in the West Coast was in Concord. Oh, yeah, nice. It's a nice blue-collar town with lots of business. That's what it's it's near Walnut to. Creek, right? Yes, near Walnut Creek. Huh. Well, yeah. I, I, I found a thousand and one ways to drive from San Francisco Airport to, to Walnut Creek and Concord. <laughs> and there, was, there, was, no, there was no way you could get there without a delay. <laughs> there's no way. There's always a delayed SFO for sure. But so, yeah, we made um, a line of Yeah, go yeah ahead. I was going to ask you to tell us about that. We've been um I'm used to some unusual products like um lentil filled um flatbread and that uh, meat substitute um what do you call it? Um the the it's not meat. It's um Yes, we actually make one with uh, beyond meat inside. It's our yeah, kebab-filled bologna. Yeah, we we had that, and um and 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 was it the other one spinach? How many different kinds do you have? So we have nine different kinds. We have uh, spinach, pumpkin, uh, spicy potato, lentil-filled. We have the uh, the Beyond Meat filled, which is our kebab filled bologna. Right. And then we make two variations of gluten free bologna, which are not with no wheat. They're oh, uh, gluten free bologna, spinach and pumpkin. And then we make a whole wheat version of the spinach. So, and then we make a line of spreads and sauces. Like uh, we make a vegan basil pesto sauce, which is completely yeah. vegan, and we use uh, fresh California almonds in there. We make cilantro pesto. Oh, is that pesto, what the which, secret is? Yeah, that's good. I, I like that a lot. I've been eating that yeah. with a spoon. <laughs> it's so good, yes. A lot and, of people do that. And the trick to our success and why the products are good is we do about uh, 55 farmer's markets a week, and we use a lot of uh, farmers and different purveyors like to source our walnuts and nuts and vegetables over the years. Oh, Okay. Um, and, yeah, and we're one of the, the largest farmers market companies. You're the largest what? Farm. We're one of the largest farmers market companies, so oh, we do about fifty-five a week. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's how do you do that? 
<laughs> you must spend your life driving. I have a lot of one of the uh, ways we've been able to do so many farmers markets lately is there has been a lot of, we've been working with a lot of organizations and we have a lot of Afghan refugees who have just come in from Kabul and oh, really? uh, one of the jobs for them. Yeah. If you go to our Instagram, we tell their story and one of the perfect places for them to start out is the farmer's market. So we'll take them, train them. Afghans are very good at selling stuff. It's in their nature. <laughs> That's great. As you can tell by my mom. <laughs> She's a delight. We have a we have a saying. It's called lightning in a bottle, and that's what your mom is. You got it. And it doesn't. In my house, it doesn't just strike twice. It strikes all the time. It is something that is very unique and aggressive because I call America land of opportunity. When we come here, we don't have a country to go back. That's uh -huh. one thing. You know, like a lot of refugees, they come, they can't go back, so they become hardworking, and this is our country. Uh -huh. You know, we don't have anything to go back and look for it. So we make our life here, we're from here, and make it successful here. That's what, what, what we become, what we are. It's funny, about, about a year or so ago, we interviewed someone who was a refugee from Afghanistan in South Australia. And oh, right, I forgot yeah. about that. Her, her family had a restaurant in Adelaide, South Australia. So oh, their, wow. story, their story is very similar to yours. Basically, thank you. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're adopting a new country, and and we're excited to be here. And exactly, yes. I'm an I'm an immigrant too. Just <laughs> and now, and you say you're in Whole Foods. Well, so currently, right now, we're not. So when we, we started all over again, we started from scratch. But, when you uh, renamed the company, on. yes, we what? renamed the company. We basically we started all over again. Okay. Well, now, tell me again why you did that. Uh, so the first company we uh, we gave, my mom got sick. She got a kind of a type of uh, cancer, and uh, we knew she needed to get away from the business because she's such a micromanager. So uh -oh. we gave it to, uh, yeah, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> so as we gave the company to a licensee deal to another company. Um, they just weren't able to make the product, and we lost. In that 11 months, we didn't produce products, so the stores moved on. So my attorney advised that we just wind down the company, and then we, we almost didn't even start up again. Like uh, six months later, my brother, he decided, like, hey, you know what? We had such a good product. I'm going to start up again. So we basically started all brand new again. We had to go get start all over again. We started making the product in my friend's uh, restaurant. You know, to go from a 30,000-square-foot kitchen to making the product again in, a, in your friend's restaurant was a humbling experience. Oh, wow. But you really, <laughs> you, you soldier on. I mean, you're really strong, strong-willed. Yeah. Um, now, when we refer to your company, when we refer to your company, do we call it Flatbread Queen or Bolani? Uh, I think Bolani is the brand yeah. name. And people recognize okay. Bolani a lot, like anywhere. So what happened was originally we had no intention of uh, making it Bolani. It was East West Gourmet in the past, my mom's company, and then my brother's company, Flatbread Queen. 
Uh, but anywhere we went, people never remembered those names. They just like, oh, that's the Balani guy. Oh, that's Balani. <laughs> it's just one of those syllable things, you know, like bubbly, like huh, you know, Sabara. You know, it just rolls yeah. off the tongue, right? So we just decided to trademark Balani, and then from there it became our brand name. So even today, when I go to any buyer meeting, they're like, oh, it's Balani. <laughs> yes. Is this the is this the black bean dip that I like no, so much? No, no, that's uh-uh. a di- that's different. Different okay. producer. Um, now, are these flavors I'm looking at that, that we've been sampling? Are they typical to Afghanistan? I mean, do you use a lot of cilantro? Yes, Afghan food does use a lot of cilantro, and uh, they are typical to Afghanistan. But we've also created our own type of. Uh, fusion of these like basil you know like basil okay. they make that in Afghanistan they just don't make it exactly how my mom makes it you know I like the uh, uh, another one I've, I've been eating with a spoon is the sun-dried tomato pesto yes that is uh, my grandma's recipe she used to make those tomato kind of mixture and she, she would add it to uh, all kinds of things you know whether yeah well that's what I've been doing I've been uh, putting yeah. in, in other preparations and dishes as an ingredient. Yes. She yeah. used to use that as a base for chicken, eggs. She used to scramble eggs with that, anything. Right. She's in New so York. Is, She's still up there. Sweetheart, this is the mint pesto, right? Yeah, you've been eating the, the I mean, mint I mean, pesto on the, the, um, uh, the stuffed flatbread. You've been adding the two ingredients together, or the two products together. Right, right. Well, I, I also was using it with the with the potatoes and the uh, and the pork balls. That oh, I, I didn't know that. That was safe. <laughs> you got you got to find a place to put it on just about everything. No, um, totally. is um, Afghanistan um, Afghani cuisine? Is it spicy or not spicy, or is it both? No. It's not very spicy. So unlike its uh, South uh, Asian uh, neighbors like Pakistan, India, it's a very milder flavor. It's very similar to uh, Iranian food or Persian food. Oh, okay. I got that. All right. No wonder the – I'm sorry, what? It's uh, similar to a Mediterranean uh, spice palette. Okay. Uh, Well, I mean, I can understand if it's uh, related to the Iranian food, I can understand – why there's so much saffron grown there. It's such good saffron. Yes, totally. So, I mean, well, you know, that's expensive to use, though, right? Yes, very expensive to use. And a lot of the spices that are grown in Iran. and So the, the thing is, mostly Afghanistan and Iran was part of uh, what they call the Persian Empire. So we have a common uh-huh. history. That's why we both speak Farsi. We speak the same language, uh, okay. a lot of the same poetry, culture, food. Only about like maybe two three hundred years we got separated and uh, you know, well you know I almost I almost went to Afghanistan because a friend of mine um, was living there uh, and and then the whole thing with the the Russians I just was thinking about it with the Russian invasion in Ukraine the the Russians interrupted that plan <laughs> so I never got to oh, Afghanistan. Wow. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, know. yeah. My mom and my uncles and a lot of, uh, we do farmer's markets, so I meet a lot of customers who went to Afghanistan. It was a very popular place to go from 1950 to 1980, you know, before the Soviet invasion. And they would go through, you know, a lot of tourists would come there and, like, hang out and drink chai. Yeah, well, my friend taught um, English at, at school there. Yes, that's and, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so. In that time, I was, uh, I was telling everyone, when I live in Afghanistan, when I was a child, grow up in Afghanistan, my father was general in the army, was working with the king at that time. Oh, and, wow. And uh, that's Yes, I always tell people that Afghanistan was like a little Europe, uh, similar to French. We had a lot of French and German people at school in Afghanistan. Uh And I went to German school, a private school in Afghanistan. um, And I always tell them that uh, Afghanistan is not uh, how you guys see it now. It turned out like that. And then when I moved, we moved um, to New York that time. Now, do you know um, a spice company called Burlap and Barrel? Uh, no, we don't. You should look it up because, um, well, um, Ethan, one of the founding partners, one of the partners, um, married, uh, he lived in Afghanistan, and he married an Afghanistan woman. And uh, he sells a lot of in-laws in Afghanistan. But he also got all these connections to small spice producers. And they sell a lot of direct, fresh, to the small farmer spices on the market. Look it up, burlap and barrel. Okay, I will for sure. My my mom's cousin uh, imports spice and rice to the United States in New York, actually. Uh Yeah. uh, Yeah, well, these guys are in in New York, although uh, one of them, uh, Ori, was originally living in California. So, well, the, the, we we always say the world is small, but I guess it really is. <laughs> it really is. Well, uh, just one last question is, are you going to have uh, the, the, the flatbreads available on your line, online? Yes, we can ship to anywhere in the United States. We are also working in the next year to get uh, a distribution through grocery chains in the East Coast, hopefully. And, and what is your website? It's uh, www.bolani.co, so not com, just .co. Okay. I, I thought I knew there was something I wanted about that, yeah. So I have that right. That's good. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure meeting you as well as enjoying your good food, and I wish you continued success and ongoing expansion. And from talking to you, I know you're going to be right there doing it. (laughs) A lot of drive and determination, and and the product is really good. So thank you, um, and, and, and keep in touch with as you expand, and let us know how you're doing. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank it's been a you pleasure. Yes. It has been a pleasure. Okay, thank you. Thank nice you. Thank you. To you. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
are. And if you're more inclined to uh, the do-it-yourself approach, um, our next guest uh, is Leah Hislop. And who knew that there is a brownie recipe and a brownie um, for every mood and situation in life? Who knew? Uh, I didn't, but uh, Leah Hislop is going to tell us all about it in her book, The Brownie Book. The book is actually called The Brownie Diary, so she's really tracked this. Yes, we're going to be talking to Leah Hislop about her book, The Brownie Diaries, My Recipes for Happy Times, Heartbreak, and Everything in Between. <laughs> well, I, I never thought of them quite that way, Leah. Um, in fact, you could clear up something for me when... When uh, my mother-in-law came to the States for the first time to visit us, uh, she has an intense sweet tooth. So my mother um, stocked up on brownies, and my mother-in-law adored them. She said she didn't have, she'd never had brownies in England. Peter says he didn't have brownies when he was growing up in the U.K. either. Uh, Are they now popular, but they weren't for a long time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, America is uh, the home of the brownie, for sure. Uh, you guys invented them. Um, but And I think, you know, yeah, they, they weren't part of, you know, English tradition at all. Um, I would say kind of from the 90s onwards, especially and definitely by the early 2000s, they were kind of popping up everywhere and kind of became increasingly popular. So, uh-huh. yeah, we've kind of had a later love affair with them, I think. Aha, uh-huh. Interesting. Before, so before that, for your afternoon tea, you had cucumber sandwiches, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's why we like them, though. I think for us, they feel, um, I guess, I guess traditional English bakes are a bit more kind of frugal feeling, um, and and the brownie for us is probably feels very decadent, very indulgent. Now, my my mother had this recipe which she, she passed on to many other people called broken biscuit cake. <laughs> that sounds very English. <laughs> Did you, you? You didn't make that, huh? No, I, I didn't grow up with that. But um, it sounds it sounds very typically English, and I kind of like using up broken things kind of way or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. You buy you buy the bottom of the biscuit barrel. Yeah. Well, it, very it, explain to our listeners. Uh, some of these recipes are just too wild. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at Netflix. And chili brownies, popcorn, ginger, and a touch of chili. <laughs> uh, explain what the book is about. Uh, it's for every mood, every occasion. Explain your purpose of the book. When I started thinking about ideas for a new book, I suppose I, I thought of brownies and because I, I, I see them as kind of endlessly versatile and kind of like a blank canvas for your imagination, really, you know? You know, you can kind of do anything with a brownie. Um, you know, you can have them, you know, you're, you know, just, just with friends, like very simple brownies. You can kind of dress them up for dinner parties. I think just like the, the versions of them are endless. And so I had the idea of kind of doing, um, it, it's almost a year of brownies, really. There's 52 recipes in there and it's a, a brownie for kind of whatever mood or whatever moment you're in. So whether that's, you might have broken up with someone or you've got a new job, just, uh, there's, uh, yeah, a brownie for every occasion. Let's begin at the beginning and, and, de- and define what 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 the composition is of a brownie because th- that's the beginning well, of it after all yeah well um people are obviously have uh people have a lot of opinions about brownies i think more than any more than many other bakes you know should they be fudgy should they be cakey um 
but but fundamentally, I mean, I always joke that they're basically broken cakes, you know, <laughs> like there's almost they're, they're made of like these very rich ingredients, butter, chocolate, sugar, but there's not very much flour in them, so there's not much you know gluten structure. You know, like a a sponge cake is very light and airy because it's got that great uh-huh. gluten structure. A brownie doesn't have that, so it's kind of squidgy and, and dense and, and delicious. These days, there are two, essentially, uh, brownies fall into two categories, the gooey and the cakey. Yeah, and, and people are very, uh, yeah, people are very, they fight their corners, don't they, on, um, on what they like. Yeah, they're, they're selling, I mean, I like gooey, but um, they're selling now um, these, we had a, a guest that, that made brownies in a cast iron skillet. So people who oh, like nice. the edges, you know, could get a whole circumference of it. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone everyone's taste is personal on brownies. But, you know, I've, I've kind of got a mix in this book, so I hope there's something for, for every person. Now, you, you run us through the, the process, simplified, I might say, so it was going to be easy to, to, for everybody to get up to speed on these. Um, could you... <laughs> also uh, run us through some of the uh, the more exotic manifestations of the brownie in your moods and the uh, book. Yeah, well, I, I make my brownies very simply. I mean, people have different methods, but the method I favor is kind of doing it all in one pan, you know. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of not creating too much washing up. Um, so, you know, melting your butter and, and your chocolate together, stirring in sugar, um, and then when I put the eggs in, I, I whisk it quite hard, um, which seems to give it that kind of like, you know, that papery crust that is so uh-huh. nice on the top of a brownie that seems to create that. Um, so I do that. Um, and as for flavor as well, I mean, the world's your oyster, really. Um, I've got everything from my, my Scotland brownie, which has whiskey in it and a uh, little bit of fudge. shortbread. Shortbread on that. <laughs> Yeah, I've got my um, my pina colada blondies when you're when you're dreaming of uh, being somewhere nice and hot, which I think we've all felt over the last few years. Um, I've got my hangover brownies, which have bacon and maple syrup in. Um, yeah, it's kind of they're, they're, they're quite <laughs> that sounds a bit wacky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, you've got to come up with fifty-two brownie recipes. You have to uh, you have to start thinking uh, outside the box. <laughs> and uh, yeah, very intellectual. I've got <laughs> and yeah, yeah. afternoon tea one These are cute. The, uh, yeah. I think I love you brownies are cute with red velvet, raspberries, and cheesecake. So they sound good. <laughs> yeah, that's one for Valentine's Day. And then I've got a kind of autumn one, which has got blackberries in it, and, um, and rye flour, which has kind of that lovely nuttiness. Um, so yeah, the and the I Union kind of Jack, that. too. I mean, but <laughs> yeah. you don't call it the Union Jack, do you, Rabbit? What? Yeah, the called the Union Flag, I think. The flag's called the Union Jack. Okay, well, she makes one of those, too. Well, it's very, very appropriate. I like the... Uh, <laughs> I bet the, 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 the Queen likes mess. brownies. Oh, the Queen, she, like, she likes licorice, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's, there's uh, yeah, I guess there's a slightly uh, an English spin on a brownie in, in some ways, a lot of these. And there's blondies, too, because, you know, I think blondies deserve to be there, too. No, when when we were in Italy, a few times, we we heard that the, the Queen of England had a standing order for licorice root from a place in Calabria. Yeah, Ooh, that's real root. 
Yeah. I wonder how she what she does with that. <laughs> probably, probably chews it like you do. Didn't, didn't you used to <laughs> chew on licorice sticks when you were a child? Yeah, yeah, we did, we did. I haven't had one of those for a long time. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm that crazy about licorice, but then again, I like um, I like the, the licorice flavor in, like in fennel and things like that, so. Yeah, so do I. I'm not mad on licorice, but I like, yeah, aniseed, fennel, all those kind of flavors in that family. Uh-huh. Well, you can always have Pontefract cakes. You know, yeah. you, know, you know what those are. No, I don't. What are they? Yeah. And, and, doesn't, and doesn't even know what they are. No, what are they? Well, like, well, it's, it's a, it's like a licorice composition, thing. and then you stamp it, right? Yeah, they have a, yeah, that kind of... Um, stamp it with a, re- with a replica of Pontefract Castle, I think. Where where somebody where somebody did away with Richard II or Edward II. Very very good knowledge. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll have to check with my brother. He he knows English kings and queens better than I do. Oh uh, yeah, you you used to do a joint presentation. Uh, I have I have them on a tea towel. <laughs> English kings and queens. So um so. Are you working for a magazine right now? Uh, yeah, so um, my day job is I work for um, uh, a food magazine uh, in the UK called uh, Waitrose Food, which is published oh, yeah. by one of the, uh, the big food groups. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what I spend my days doing. And then, uh, yeah, at night I came home and uh, tested a lot of brownie recipes. We're... <laughs> <laughs> Who who are we interviewing? We're interviewing um, from what house? We've been to this house, the Churchill and Astor team. Oh, Cliveden. Cliveden. Yeah, we're, they they've produced a, a, a book, Rizzoli published that that's absolutely sumptuous. Um, and I mean, it's mm, we and we also interviewed the 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 woman who lives in the house where they filmed. What was it? The TV series? Oh, uh, the uh, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, uh, that house. It sounds like an awful uh, lot of work. Well, running a big house. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, they all like have... Th- these books come with recipes for entertaining. You could imagine it's not brownies, it's just on a rather grand scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think they have many brownies. <laughs> Of course, of course. So, what, what, what? Um, have you had any reaction to your book? I mean, like, what about the people in the UK? Are they excited about making brownies? Yeah, it seems to have had a good reception. I think um, Nigella was very nice about it the other day. Um, she does a kind of weekly post about a cookbook, so that was oh, amazing. Yeah, that made that made my year, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it seems to be it seems to be doing pretty well. Um, I think you know, I think one of the, the nice things about brownies is that they're, 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 they're kind of democratic. Like, I feel like everyone likes brownies. Most people like brownies. Uh-huh. True. And they bring people together, and that's something you make for other people, aren't they? Which I think is one of the nice things about them. They're um, the nice thing about tray bakes, I suppose, in general. Yeah, you don't make them for yourself; you make them to share. So, what what is your next book going to be? Do you know, I have no idea. I <laughs> I haven't yet come across the uh, yeah the the right idea. Um, but this one is quite different to my first book, which was all about 
the food of London um, called Made in London. So who knows? Maybe I'll do something totally different again. Well, how does that hold up? The, um, I mean, everything's changed. I mean, we haven't been there for... We used to be there, um, oh, at least in London. I mean, not the UK. In, in London, we, we used to have um, lunch every Valentine's Day there. And oh. we haven't been, yeah, we haven't been for a while. But a lot of the restaurants closed. I got the Eater London, and I found a lot of the restaurants are closed. Some have reopened. The um, uh, Ledbury's reopening, or reopened. Oh, did yeah, you read that? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Hmm? Yeah, there were some casualties, obviously. It was a really hard time. Um, a lot have reopened now. It does feel like, um, you know, restrictions have lifted here now. Um, the, you know, I've, I've been out quite a bit the last few weeks, and uh, the, the, you know, the, the, they're packed. The restaurants seem pretty buzzy again. You were saying? I didn't. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Leo. That's right. Oh no, it's fine. Um, yeah. So, so um, you know, it, it has changed a bit, but I think that was always going to be the case with the London cookbook because it changes. It's a city that changes so quickly. You know, sometimes right. I walk past a building and I, I think, oh, I know. I remember like the last three restaurants that were in that building. Yeah, <laughs> about I know. Years. <laughs> Well, oh, we, no, when we, I did, um, when I did, the, I was a Russian editor for a city magazine, and we always had um, fact checkers that would call up and, uh, and check on facts that I put in my articles. And uh, mm. one day they they called this restaurant, and uh, they, they said that this, mind you, I already filed the copy; it was ready to go, and they were just checking the facts. And who, the person who answered the phone turned out to be like. A cleaning person or something said the restaurant's closed. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, so and and they thought the fact checker thought that, that he meant just that it was closed at that time, but it turned out that was closed, <laughs> closed oh, for wow. good. Yeah, so volatile yeah. industry. Well, Lee, I hope you can have success with this book, and you, you seem to be already having success, and uh, your publicist is very fond of it as well. Um, and keep us in mind for when you do your next book. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks for talking to us. You're most Again, welcome. Again, listeners, it's Leah Hislop, The Brownie Diaries. And you can match this delicious treat to your every mood uh, 52 weeks out of the year. Is that true? <laughs> That's yes. it. Okay, Leah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm tempted to say, well, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and that's really very stupid, silly. At any rate, that wraps it for us. Uh, another show um, next week, same time, same place. And until then, bye bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.